I was at a party at a friend's house in East Nashville, and I walked into the bathroom, and I saw a two-year-old splashing around in the toilet. He was completely drenched. And when he saw me walk in, he stood up and put his arms out and walked towards me like he wanted to hug. I took about five steps backwards, looked him right in the eye, and said, Not today, little shitwater. Not today. This is Otis Gibbs, and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting in my hotel room in Avesta, Sweden. I slept last night with the window open, and I woke up with a sparrow sitting on the edge of my bed. A pretty damn good way to wake up. This is a personal journal. It's an audio experiment. I should say up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I'm doing it anyway. It's my long-held belief that there are only two people in art that truly matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it, and everything else is an artificial filter. Thanks for letting me share this with you guys with no filters whatsoever. Thanks for tuning in for part two of our conversation with Phil Kaufman. I'd like to remind everybody to stop by his website at phkauf.com and pick up a copy of his book. It's really, really worth reading. Now let's go back to Phil's living room in East Nashville, Tennessee, and pick up the conversation right where we left off. There's a little connection there in that uh, Frank's tour manager, Ron Ahoda, killed himself in in Las Vegas. He had had spent the $10,000 tour money on drugs and, and, and gambling and he cut himself to death he cut his thighs he cut his wrists he cut his I mean, he bled to death and then when I took when I took over the job I get this briefcase with the, all the paper in it and would soaked in blood I said I said I said I said zap I know he's you know come on Frank does everybody get a blood soaked briefcase when they work for you <laughs> you, you know no and uh, and I had met Frank once before I had driven Mick Jagger up to his house in Laurel Canyon. The two of us went in there, and 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 Frank was showing us the his, his recording session there, and they had a bowling alley and the Mother's Invention. And he finally asked Mick, Mick Mick to leave because he had been drinking. He said, "You know, I I can't talk to you because he, he didn't drink or do drugs." And Mick, you know, said, "Hello, darling. What's all this about then? You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, you tell, tell me to fuck off. Well, I don't be a cunt." So anyhow, so that was my first. So I. I so I get this job with Frank, and uh, we we go on tour, and I'm the new guy, so that the um, the crews kind of mess it with me, you know, like I'm the new guy, you can get away with this. Shit. So they they were they were giving me a lot of shit. <clears throat> so the one guy named Tex, who had been drum tech, who had, who had babysat for the Weasel and and Moon Unit and and Hummet, you know, he was like really family. He he uh, they were smoking pot in the uh, in the hotel. Chicago Playboy Club, and they, and they tore, knocked the door down to one of the other a kid who with the bag man. He carried the luggage in and out and set up the the, the espresso machine. And, they, and 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 the hotel called us down, <clears throat> and I and I said, look, this will never happen again. I'll make a pay cash for everything. I'm sorry for this. And I went and told Frank. I said, look, I want to fire this guy. 
Fang looked at me and said, go for it. Yeah, you know, yeah, go for it. So I, I, I called Tex and, and, and all the guys in the room, and I told him that he's, that he's fired. And he was so shocked, he couldn't believe it. And the next day, we're all going somewhere. And then, uh, and, uh, and I went, I went to, he came to me and said, you know, I'm really sorry, man. I, went, I said, I went to Frank. I said, you know, he said, Frank said, do what you want. Know, I'm with you. You know, if you want to, you know, I know the guy and he's been good, but he, he transgressed, the, you know, the unwritten law rule there, you know. Yeah. Was he begging for his job? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, he was begging for his job. And I said, all right, let's, <clears throat> all right, we'll, we'll go. But, you know, don't be fucking with me because, you know, yeah. uh, I'm the fucker and not the fucky, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so uh, so a, a couple of days later, so I always had my door open. I always had a bottle of wild turkey uh, whiskey. And and my door was open when I was in there. Pete wanted to come in. I do payroll and all that stuff. So, I my my door was closed and I heard a knock on the door. And I went to the door and I looked down. Somebody had pushed a razor blade under my door. Yeah, <laughs> bad joke. Bad yeah. joke. Uh, uh, so a couple of stories. Uh, Frank sitting. Uh, we're sitting in an airport, waiting for 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 change of planes. And Frank is sitting, and Frank Zappa looked like a caricature of, of Frank Zappa. He looked like, you know, he, he was the easiest guy to do a caricature of. <clears throat> and this drunk comes out of the bar. Frank is sitting there with his pad open, drinking, sipping uh, espresso, and writing charts. You know, you know. And this drunk comes up there and looks at Frank real close, and he looks at his briefcase, and he sees FZ, FZ on his briefcase. And he looks, he says, excuse me, says, I, I know who you are. And Frank says, yes. He says, oh, yeah. He says, you're Fred Zeppelin. <laughs> and, and he looks at and, and Frank says, yes, I am. And I says, oh, I know, I, I, I love, I, I got all your records. And he walked away going, that's Frank Ze that's Fred Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, so uh, another time, we're, we're on a bus in Germany to, in Saarbrück and doing a big, big out, 100,000 people concert. And uh, <clears throat> we're on the bus and the bus is stuck in traffic and the bus has got a little a bathroom. And so I go in the bathroom and as a joke, I start screaming. And I come out and everyone looks at me and I said, Frank, why does it hurt when I pee? So he wrote this song, Why Does It Hurt When I Pee? And it's on the Joe's Garage album. He wrote the song on the bus before we got to the venue, charted it. And if you ever seen Frank Zappa, the chart, I mean, the percussion and the whole, all, all the stuff that's there, he charted it and the band played it that afternoon. Wow. And they were not happy with me. <laughs> the next, next time you're in pain, keep it to yourself, Kaufman. <laughs> was the theme, was the general theme. <laughs> and Frank wrote a nice note uh, before he died in, 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 in a footnote in my book. Road Mangler Deluxe, which is available if you uh, email me at rdmangler at aol.com. Being a devout atheist, I, uh, whenever I go to a hotel, I go, the first thing I do is uh, go to the drawer in the dresser, take out the Gideon Bible and put it outside my door. I don't want to sleep with that thing in my, my door. Uh, and uh, if if the Quran was there, it would be equally be put out. The Book of Mormon, you know, it's just you know, I, I, it's not an anti-Mormon. I'm anti-religion. <clears throat> so any so anybody Frank would say somebody, hey, where's where's the tour manager? 
It says, it's down the hill, look for the Bible. <laughs> and to this day, <clears throat> to this day, I, I did it. You know, uh, a quick note about Ricky Skaggs. Ricky Skaggs, the bluegrass uh, artist. Uh, he, he was always horrified that I put my, he'd be in, he's one of those convenient Christians. You know, you know. God said, "Here's my ten commandments, Ricky. Pick eight you're comfortable with." And so we stayed in, in a Marriott Hotel, which is owned by the Mormons. So I put the Bible and the Book of Mormon out, and Ricky put the Book of Mormon out outside the store. <laughs> well, we went we we went to Europe at Ricky Skaggs' first time, and he had he had hayseed sticking out of his hat. You know, he was really a country boy. And we we get on the plane. I said, Ricky, well, you know, we had Walkman then, a little tape recorder. I said, Ricky, when you get to Europe, your American batteries aren't going to work. You're going to have to buy European batteries. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, Bangler. So let me have your old American batteries. I'll get oh, okay. So, so he went he went and bought European batteries for it. <laughs> and then the same thing. We're, we're on a bus going going through Switzerland. He yells, Bangler, look an elf. <laughs> And help. <laughs> Country boy. <laughs> Before I got into the music business, I had been in the film business. I was stuntman, extra, bit part, um, working in production. And I had a lot of time off, so I was, I went, I was going, I was skydiving and scuba diving at the time. And I used to go down to Mexico and, uh, and got down to, uh, one of the little villages on on the uh, on the ocean, and you know, just have a good time. And I always bring back some pot, a, a kilo of of Michoacan marijuana was twenty dollars a kilo, a kilo. I may repeat a kilo. So I bring a few few back, and yes, you know, my own use. And uh, I got caught coming across the border with with uh, some some couple of pounds of a key of, yeah, of, of weed. And uh, fast forward, went to court, and I got bailed out. My mother bailed me out. Now, at this time, the penalty for marijuana was the same as heroin. If you were convicted, you could not have probation. You had to go to prison. And when you went to prison, you could not have parole. You had to do all the time. <clears throat> so I said, that's, you know, that's, not a, that's not a good bargain. No leniency at all. No, no, no. <clears throat> you, have to do, you have to do the whole number. So... Uh, so I I I, uh, I wrote a I wrote a uh, confession, and had my signature notarized and gave it to the two guys who were in the car with me, exonerating them. And off I went to Europe, and I and I hid out in Europe for a long time. Under 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 a fictitious name, the name a friend of mine, at the time, didn't have a passport, so he let me get a passport in his name, and his name was Harold True. So here I go up on the biggest lie. Under the name Harold True, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> so uh, I I I went uh, ended up in Paris and I and I was I got caught up in the 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 uh, student strikes at that time. Got arrested there, but uh, I showed him my passport. I said I was a tourist. I was just at the you know in the wrong place at the wrong time. So they they, they cut me loose. <clears throat> so then I hitchhiked down to. Uh, Met, met this guy named Karim, and we hitchhiked down to to Pamplona to the run into the bulls, and then we then we, we hitchhiked further and, and down to uh, Torremolinos on 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 the beach down there. Now it, in the six hitchhiking was easy. I mean, it, it, 
you, you, you get rides really just stick your thumb out and you were, uh, you know, you get a ride, not like now it was safe. And, uh, <clears throat> it was, it was okay. So I was down Torre Molinos and at that time, now it's a big, it looks like Miami beach now, but at the time there's nothing there and you could sleep on the beach and, and it was really cheap living, you know? <clears throat> so, uh, I got a hold of some keef, which is Moroccan grass. It's a gold. Uh, they usually mix it with tobacco. Keef. Keef. K i e f. It's that's that's their their marijuana. Okay. And uh, I bought a little bit, and then I'd sell some. They used to sell it in matchboxes. You get a little, little matchbox. A matchbox was uh, I don't know ten twenty pesetas, and that would be lunch. You know. So I mean, I was you know pretty you know living living not high on the hog, <laughs> if you will, more high on the rat. <laughs> so, uh, so we, so a bunch of us went back to Madrid. We're living and hanging out in Madrid. I got to work in a movie called Battle of the Bulge because uh, they needed blonde guys. <clears throat> I would, believe it or not, I was blonde at the time to play German soldiers because a lot of stuff was shot in Spain. A lot of a lot of films were shot in Spain because they used the army and and all of that stuff. As a matter of fact, when I worked on Spartacus, that 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 movie, except for the principal close-ups, were all shot in Spain. So I made, I made, I was doing okay. <clears throat> you know, we could, <clears throat> we're living in the Plaza Santana, near the Puerto del Sol, and a lot of expats there, artists and like that. We had pretty, pretty, pretty good going there. So uh, <clears throat> I decided, someone decided to go down to, to Tetuan and, and Tangier, score some keef and come back up, you know, make, you know, make a living. <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, we went down, down, down to Tangier, came back up to Madrid where we were selling it. We decided to go to Sweden where there was a big jazz festival. So we, 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 we had, this guy had a car and we drove all the way up to Denmark <clears throat> where then my, my partner and I, Ron, Ron Stevenson, who I just visited recently <clears throat> in, in uh, California, he and I went off with, with, the, uh, with, the, with the Keefe and, uh, and we were selling it in Schutteboy, in, in, uh, in Gothenburg, Sweden. And there was some speed freak turned us in, so we got busted. So we went to trial and we were sentenced to six months in uh, in prison, and I and I applied for political asylum because I said that you know that I'm facing inordinate amount of, of, of penalty for, for the for, for the for, for which you get six months over here. They're giving me you know ten years over there. Yeah. But they didn't buy it. The people the people who are sympathetic to me, like the people in the jail, uh, they they had they had a, a furlough program there. If you were there a certain amount of time, they let you go home for the weekend and things like that. Uh, but I decided to escape. I did not want to go back to the States and face, you know, five to 10 years, probably more for, more for jumping bail. <clears throat> so I, uh, put into play in this great, the, the great escape. I had managed to get Danish semen papers, uh, for cigarettes. I don't smoke. So I, I, I'd get cigarettes and trade cigarettes, for, you know, for, for contraband. I got, I got some cash, uh, for, for some Danish, Danish semen papers. I got, a guy, a guy said to me, uh, "Can you get me a blank check for any bank in New York?" And I said, "Well, so I sent out a kite, a letter to somebody, and they sent this guy. And the guy came in and he gave me the Dana Siemens papers and some money. I'm, I'm, I'm accumulating things to, to get ready for my escape. I needed a hacksaw blade, and these, these guys had showed me how to tie sheets together. So when you hit the ground, you could untie the knot and pull the sheets down." His sheets hanging out. Sheets drying out of a prison window at two in the morning is is a mite suspicious. Yeah. <clears throat> so in the meantime, uh, D Dave Alpert is a name associated with Timothy Leary, 
he was they were the LST professors at Harvard. <clears throat> well, I got to meet uh, Albert before before I left the country, and they sent me some acid. Now the acid was in the form of a letter. The letter <clears throat> from an anonymous girl. So I opened up and it was a big thing, big, big lips, some lipstick said, big kiss, darling. And she said, that's where it is. So I cut out the lips and ate it. And nothing seemed to happen. It's, it's the stamp. They, they, you put the drop on the stamp. So I, I, tell, I eat the stamp. I don't know. That's a signature. So pretty soon I'm coming on. I don't even know it. And the guards come and they open the door. Here, this is crazy American with paisleys coming out of his ears, <laughs> you know, eating his mail. They may be some under the ah, it's the envelope, you know. So I ate the whole fucking letter. You know, so I don't to this day I don't remember what it was. You know. So anyhow, that that was that was a, that, and I, I and that was that was that trip. So so I'm still waiting, you know, for, to, to accumulate my my stash, my contraband. So then the night comes where I'm going to do it. So I the day before, someone came, I was working in the laundry and a guy came in the repair site and left his toolbox there. Which is something you never do in a prison. <clears throat> and one of the guys grabbed a hacksaw and laid out, and the other guys are going to take stuff. And he said, "No, leave everything there." About five minutes later, the guards come running around the corner of the toolbox. And the guy went up. The guy says, "Everything there?" <clears throat> he said, "Yeah, I guess so." And all we took was this hacksaw blade. Okay, the guy gave me the, the guy gave me the hacksaw blade, and I went to my cell that night, and I said, "You know, to everybody, you know, tonight's the night." So uh, while we're while we're in there, they clock us in our cells, and uh, they have little little speaker up there that they plays music and it was uh it was uh Marbelle <laughs> Michelle Marbelle. So I'm so, I've got I've got socks on my hands for gloves. I got a string on the hacksaw blade. I've got it around my neck. And I've got butter I'm putting on the hacksaw blade to see it doesn't get hot. And I broke it out the window and I'm sawing this one bar all I need to get out. Me shell saw saw my bell saw saw you know <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm being the Beatles the, the Great Escape so so I had, so I, I got I got the uh, thing through and in the meantime I, in between you know, you know when the guards come out I'd stop they'd be out in the yard I could see them uh, I got this sharpie out and I'm stuck writing this stuff on the prison walls ha 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 come and catch me if you can you'll never catch the road mangler ha ha you stupid English stupid cunts I am out of here you know I'm doing I'm all this bullshit bravado you know so then the hacksaw blade breaks oh. so I spend the rest of the night cleaning the wall my, 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 my bravado is now bullshit <laughs> and I'm scrubbing the walls so when they come in the morning, they don't see it. So the morning comes and uh, they open up the cells. Everybody looks at what happened. I said, fucking hacksaw. <clears throat> so they sent everybody to work. I said, I, I'm not, I, you ought to hook, sweetest. So I'm sick. And so I had to stay in there and clean up my cell more. And then uh, that night when they came back, the, uh, this guy came up to, my, to me and said, hey, uh, they, it's sweet and they called that having a party. Somebody having a party? I mean, so I escape. And the guy, I said, yeah, he gave me a brand new hacksaw blade. He said, when you, when you hide it somewhere. That night, we're back to Michelle again. Michelle saw, saw, and I got the, got the thing out, and I got, I, I got everything ready. I've got civilian clothes. I've got, you know, I'm, 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 I've got, uh, I shaved my, my pubic hair, so they thought I'd shave my mustache. Because when I was arrested, I didn't have a mustache. I was clean shaven. Okay. So I figured they'd be looking for a guy. Clean shaved. It looking like my mugshot, but you I would have left it on the sink. Uh, or yeah, something. left out a sink with the razor, you know, with the, uh, with a mirror, <clears throat> and uh, so I so I'm ready to go. 
and I looked at the guy. There's a guy waiting for me. I was on a furlough. I could see his, his. He flashed the lights. The guys in the yard had left a big sawhorse out with a with a uh, a mattress to, to throw over the barbed wire, and, and I'm gone. So I start to go out the window, and in, in sawing the the, bla- the 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 iron bar. It's old. It was an old prison. Old iron bar. I left a piece out because the hacksaw. It wasn't on a hacksaw. It was on the, just the blade. It was a piece about about an inch and two inches tall. And if I had gone out the window, it would have cut me in half. So I was, oh. I was, I was fucked. Sheets are out the window, you know, and they all of a sudden, whoop, 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 whoop. Then Yankee erruming. The Yankees escape. They come to, so they come to my sack. Hail them coming. So I take, I take the money, the Dana Siemens papers, and the good hacksaw blade, hit it behind the mirror. And they opened the door, and I, I looked at them. I handed them the broken hacksaw blade. I went, ah! And they got me and they took me down to the dungeon and strapped me to a table. And I said, oh, fuck, they got to, you know, bamboo under the under the fingernails. Where are they going to get bamboo? That doesn't work. You know, this is Sweden. Anyhow, what they did, they did nothing. I just laid there for two days and shit all over myself and pissed all myself. Then, oh. then they cleaned me up. That would have been terrifying. They, they, they cleaned me up and they sent me to another, to another more secure brand new prison to be shipped back to the States. In the meantime... Bulgarian assassin who had come up from from the East Coast to assassinate somebody living in, and, and he attempted he got caught. Mm-hmm. My former roommate, a Turkish rapist, attempted escape and he got caught. The only person that escaped all the time that I was there was a meatball smuggler, a reindeer <laughs> meatball smuggler. <laughs> to this day, they don't know where he is. <laughs> <laughs> How's that a kick in the ass? Huh? <laughs> the dangerous man. The most dangerous guy. The reindeer meatball smuggler is on the loose, calling all cars. Calling. <clears throat> so the, the U.S. King Gustav Adolf of Sweden and President Lyndon B. Johnson signed, <clears throat> signed my, my extradition papers. So these two big burly uh, U.S. marshals come to pick me up. So they, they come to the prison, they, they get me, you know, handcuff me and chain me. And, you know, I weighed about 130 pounds, you know. The chain weighed more than me, <clears throat> you know. So they get, we get to the airport and they get me on the plane. They can't chain you on a plane, on a commercial flight. So there are three seats, guy by the window, me in the middle, and uh, the other guy. So I said, you guys, can you get me a beer? He said, no, no, you're not getting shit, buddy. Shut the fuck up, you know, tough guy. So the plane takes off to Stockholm and lands in Oslo, Norway. And I said, um, excuse me, I'm getting out here. What? I said, you have no jurisdiction here. You have a deal between Sweden and the United States. This is Norway. I'm getting off the plane. And they're going, uh, uh, you know, you're not, they're going to arrest you as soon as you get up. I know that. I know that. And they looked at me and said, what do you want? I said, I want to get drunk. I want to drink. I'm going to prison. You know, five to ten years. This may be my last hangover. So they go, okay. So I stayed on the plane. And they, they, you know, they, they, got, me, they got me a couple of days. <laughs> so we landed in the yard. They're carrying me off the fucking plane. Woo! Welcome home, America. You know, <laughs> um, you know. <clears throat> and they, we spent the night there. And then we took me up to Washington, D.C., put me there. And then they, then they took me to uh, uh, Arizona. I went to trial and I decided if you're, if you're unable to make, uh, to, <clears throat> aid in your own defense. You know, you plead insanity. And uh, 
and what they do is they they drop charges and they send you to a psychiatric hospital in near your home. And after six months, you can affect the miraculous cure and, and get out, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so I, I went, I went into my act, you know, marijuana, I'm hearing voices and, uh, you know, they're telling me, uh, you know, so they took, so the court appointed psychiatrist interviewed me and I had my, my, my defense attorney invited me when it was time to go to trial. They, uh, their psychiatrist said, you know, Kaufman, you're right. You're, you're, you're schizophrenic, but you're two great guys and you're both going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it's funny at the time. So anyhow, so they, uh, they sent me back to there and then eventually they sent me to Springfield, Missouri, the hospital for the, for the, uh, federal prison hospital for all, for people doing time who are terminally ill or very sick or, under psychiatric evaluation. So when I got there, I had to, I couldn't be crazy anymore. Because if you're crazy and guilty, you never get out. Yeah. So so I, I gotta be uncrazy. So I I got a job there and I was, you know, just being really coherent and you know, and I, I don't do pot anymore. I feel great, you know. So uh, uh, uh you know Genovese was there, the mafia head guy. And I was working one of my jobs was was garbage, you know, pushing garbage around. And they had notes they'd give me, and I hide, and they, they, you know, it was part of that shit. But I did get end up in the education department where I learned how to type, which was which was which, which really worked for me. So anyhow, they transferred me. They're going to transfer me back to my home state, California, Terminal Island. So that they they take me by bus from Springfield to uh, Leavenworth, kind of the big the that's the, the the big house in Kansas. In Kansas, yeah, that's the big house, yeah. Uh, Leavenworth, Kansas. And I, so I was there about a week in the big house. I realized I did not like the big house. The big, there's a lot, a lot of people there doing big numbers and don't give a shit. So, uh, so then, then, then they moved me from there to, they flew us there to, to Long Beach. We're in chains on the plane because it was at Con Air. It was, it was the Marshall's Air. They took me to Terminal Island. <clears throat> you know, great name for a prison. Terminal Island. So, uh, so I, I, I'm in, I'm in there and, uh, uh, you have to go to a, uh, admittance and orientation to find out what job you're best suited for while you're in there. So the, 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 the psychologist is, you know, asking you all these questions. He says, uh, and when he's finished, he says, uh, all right, uh, 12258 Cal, that was my number. I said, you can call me 122. <laughs> you know, he said, what is it? In your heart of hearts, you would, you know, with his, uh, his eyeglasses down on his nose, period, and be on over his glasses. What is it in your heart of hearts you want to be? And I took off my hat and said, "An ex-convict, sir." <laughs> <laughs> and the sooner the better. <laughs> so wise words. So so uh, so I'm in the yard. I get an A and O, and and I'm put into a regular dorm with these guys, with the regular people. Now the the prison I'm in is a medium prison, which means it's it's kind of a low pressure, like Leavenworth. The people are doing life, and and in, in medium prison like term, Terminal Island, there are a lot of people just doing short time, uh, white collar dentist, tax people, and things like that. Got three or four years, and people who had we're doing 20 years we're on their last five years are taken to a low, low, uh, low pressure area because they, they, because people fuck with you You only got five years, you know, in a big prison, you know, they they don't, 
So you get it gets it's a little kind of a cooling off during the last five years. They yeah. mess with you so you yeah, yeah, no yeah. longer sentence. And- yeah, yeah. And they 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 put you under pressure. If you don't do this, you know, to do something illegal, yeah, we're gonna, you know, yeah. you're gonna get yeah. So so anyhow, so there I there I met Chuck Manson. Your <laughs> boy guitar, yeah. Charles Manson was in the yard in the uh, after after supper, we people walked the yard. That's back and forth. Different groups of guys knew each other. We'd walk back and forth. I mean, that was your exercise period. And there was a, there was weights and, and, a, and a, a softball field, a little shit like that. But I, there's this guy coming, singing, playing the guitar. And he sounded like Frankie Lane. Remember Frankie Lane? Yeah. Mule train and Blazing yeah. Saddles. Uh, uh, and, he, and, he, and his voice, he sounded really good. So I t- started talking to him. And, a, and one of the guys comes up to him and says, Manson. You're not supposed to play a guitar here. There's guitar playing. The music is, is over there. You're never going to get out of here. And Charlie says, out of where, man? <laughs> Talking about hippy-dippy, you know. So uh, I thought it was pretty good. And I I gave him the He was getting out before, man. I gave him the name of some people in uh, L.A. To, to to record him. He was just a petty criminal at this point, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He, uh, two things. He he was his, his, he was doing it, finishing a 10-year sentence, doing it all the time for... Uh, for stealing checks, mail checks, federal federal mail checks, and uh, a forgery, and he was illiterate. So he really, yeah, I mean, you know, not not a great crime career move there, was it? You know, you can't read or write, you know. Uh, and but uh, he was also a Dale Carnegie graduate, and Dale Carnegie was like how to win friends and influence people. It was it was, it was a a home course that came out on 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 records, not even not even tape. So he he had graduated from that, so uh, so anyway, I, I you know, that was it. I I uh, I met Charlie, and uh, and when I got out, almost a year later, he had recorded this lie album, and uh, and he, he was the craziest only they, they couldn't handle him, you know, family and all that. So I went and stayed with him for about a month. They got out, you know, you know sex and girls. I mean, young girls, and you'd have been in prison, you know, two and a half years, you know. What was what was it like day to day? Well, that was real hippy dippy then. I'm mean, every hippie, but he was very protective of his girls, and and he was very afraid of a black revolution because at that time there there was a lot of problem going on, uh, the Black Panthers and, and all that. That was this is back nineteen sixty nine, sixty eight, sixty eight. So, uh, well, I stayed with Charlie for about a month, and then I just realized, you know, this this guy's not, he, he you know he's not right. He's really being manipulative and all that. And then I said, Charlie, I'm 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 leaving. He said, Yeah. He looked at me. He said, Yeah, you're still thinking, aren't you? I said, Yeah. He said, He said, Well, you think too much. I said, Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to leave now. And I got up and I left. And I didn't hear from them for a long time. And then till 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 the till the Tate Bianco murders. And I didn't think they had done it because I thought it wasn't them. There was a guy in L.A. that everybody had thought had done it. And I and I said, Oh yeah, I, yeah. He was a crazy guy. Not like Charlie. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, uh, so Charlie, uh, Charlie, uh, Charlie got arrested for it, and I didn't believe they had done it. I think they were just getting hit because they were hippies and all that. So uh, I, I set up an interview for Rolling Stone uh, with him with uh, uh, Cameron. What's his name? Uh, Cameron Crow. Cameron Crow, and he was just a little young little kid, you know. We're, we're, you know. Working for that, and so then, then, then it, I, I got subpoenaed to go to court, and I, and I, 
and I was still on parole, so I talked to the, I talked to you know my my guys, you know I, I really don't have anything to do with these people. They well, uh, so they never called me, so I, that 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 was cool. But uh, in in the meantime, I I helped some of the girls you know get get together. So I didn't think that they had done it because they were they were all kind of peace and love and and hippy dippy, but very possessive of of his his harem and 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 his little family as he called it. But I was wrong, you know. I was really, I was really wrong, and uh, but yet he kept calling me. You'd produced his album. Yeah, I, I produced the album uh, "Lie," and he wanted he wanted that to put out be put out to prove that you know that he wasn't guilty. I I, I don't see the connection. I you know, the the lie cover was the cover of Life magazine. We just listed the F off of Life and made made it a lie. And uh, in fact, I still have I think six of the original. Uh, discs right here in my in my my living room. Uh, so but so anyhow, uh, as years passed by, he kept calling me, and you know, and I and I talked to him, just out of boredom. And then the last time he called me, he uh, he was going on his Manson babble, and I'm going, Charlie, Charlie. I said, uh, well, first of all, to get a call, the phone rings, and 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 a, and a recorded voice says, "This is Cochran State Prison." And, California inmate, then he says his name, Charles Manson, is calling you collect. If you want to accept the call, uh, accept or not, just hang up. So I said, so I, so I accepted the call. So he's, so he's going on babbling, you know, Manson, you know, the trees, the world, the water, um, you know, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's, Charlie asked him a question and he has his own thing. And it, you know, like, like, uh, do you drive to work? No, I bring my lunch. You know, it doesn't, you know, that, that kind of dialogue, it does, you know, it doesn't, you ask him a question and he doesn't answer it. He answers it from his frame of reference, which is not related to the original question. It'd get boring really fast. Oh yeah. Yeah. So he's on with that shit. And I say, Hey Charlie, look, you know, the difference between you and I, I said, you're doing life and I'm living it. He said, Oh, you think that's funny? I said, goodbye, Charlie. And I hung up and I hung up on him and I haven't heard from him since. I hope he's not angry. <laughs> you know, I realized that he was a murderer, and, and I, but I didn't think he'd ever lie to me. <laughs> so, I mean, Charlie, Charlie loves, can't wait for, for parole hearings because he gives him a chance to go out and, you know, be on stage again. Grandstand. Grandstanding, yeah. Well, didn't they? Uh... He attacks them. I mean, he, you know, he, he, he doesn't he threaten, but he attacks them and accuses them of polluting the earth and all that. And they, and they said, look, we're trying to let you out of jail. You know, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not happening. And I, and he's, he knows he's never getting out and he's resigned himself to that. He knows it. He spent, he spent what? Eight tenths of his life in, in, in some kind of institution. Yeah. He's where he belongs. You know, he, yeah, he, that's, there are people who should be in prison and Charlie is one of them. <laughs> Sorry, Chuck, <laughs> but that's it. Facts are stubborn things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even the girls, even the girls have have, have given him up, given up, given up on him. Yeah, except for uh, a squeaky, Lynette Frome. She, she she's out now and she's married. She, uh, I mean, see how crazy she was. She she escaped from the woman's prison in the snow and hid in a tree. I just followed her foot left, right, left, right, left. Look up. Yeah, there she is. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, did, 
did these people, um, I think in your book, it said that uh, they kept coming back to your house afterwards trying to get the yeah, albums. Yeah, yeah. And I had a gunfight when I'm you know, down Chandler Boulevard. And then one night they, they came back. They had been coming, climbing over my fence. And I was in Arizona working on a film. And I got back. My neighbor said, no, these people, you know, coming up nightly at your house. So uh, I, 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 that night I was home. I, said, I looked up and here they come, climbing over the fence, about five of them. And I, I, my buddy lived in the back, Einstein Eddie, Eddie Steinbach. And he was a big guy, and he had a, he had a, he had a shotgun. So I said to my girlfriend, go get Eddie. Eddie came around, you know, and I'm sitting there waiting. Wait, I got my gun. And they're coming close. And I'm saying to myself, what do, what do you say? You know, you know, you know, you know, you know, like in the movies, they always have it. So, so, so they came over to I yelled, stick them up. <laughs> <laughs> You know, not, I hold it there, uh, pilgrim. None of that. I didn't know what the hell this say, so I just yelled, "Stick them up!" And they went. They put their arms up, <laughs> and I and and they had knives, and I and they said, "We come for Charlie. Wants you to have to give us the music." So Charlie didn't say any such thing. So, see, when Charlie was there, he kind of directed mental traffic, but he wasn't there. They all got fragmented. I know what Charlie wants. I know what Charlie wants, and uh, none of them knew what Charlie wanted because Charlie wasn't there to tell them what they wanted. <laughs> So uh, I made them, I said, you know, I, get out of here. You know, I said, you know, I put, you put a shotgun up to somebody's face. It really is intimidating. It's a good motivator. Just a touch of, yes, yeah, a great motivator, yeah. And, 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 and they, they really you know, shit in their pants. And uh, so I said, I get out. So they started walking. I said, crawl like you came in. So they crawled across <laughs> the yard, crawled over there. And I didn't see them again, for, you know, them. But by then, you know, they, they, more of them had been arrested. I mean. Uh, Tex came to my Tex Watson came to my house and said, "You know, I, I, before he got arrested, said Charlie wants this." And I hit him right in the mouth. Said, "Fuck you, fuck you and Charlie too. Get out of here." The next day, he got arrested for being a murderer. Oh. But but on that same vein, uh, having known Manson, I had sex with more murderers than anyone in show business. <laughs> a dubious honor, at least. <laughs> this blog that we're doing now is one of the few people ones that I do where I where I talk about Manson. I don't like to talk about Manson. That's the history. It's it's been documented. It's in my book. It's it's a yeah. Yeah, this is probably anybody listening now, this will probably be the last time they'll hear me talk about Charles Manson except uh oh he died today. Mm, how do they know? You know, that something yeah. like that. It so, has to be difficult to just keep I mean, it's, it, I don't want to be guilt by association. I mean, I had no, no, n never a sympathizer. Right. You know, I mean, so I don't want people to think that, uh, you know, that, that, that I'm, I'm waiting for Charlie to get out and waiting for orders. I have nothing to do with him. The man's a crazy murderer. Yeah. Anyone who reads your book or listens to any of the interviews you've done or read the interviews would never think yeah, that you no. were a sympathizer. Sorry, Charlie. You, <laughs> you lied to me. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate you putting up with me, and it's beautiful to get to sit in your living room and chat with you. Yeah, well, listen, thank you for chatting, and uh, uh, I'd like to hear it all when it comes out. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Phil Kaufman for being nice enough to invite me into his living room in East Nashville, Tennessee. I should also say that we had to do this twice because we had some uh, technical difficulties 
and Phil was great. He gave me a really hard time, but it was all good-natured, and I deserved every bit of it. So thank you very much, Phil, for putting up with me. If you want to find out more about Phil and maybe check out his book, just go to phkauf.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com pick up a CD, a t-shirt, buy one of my photographs, buy one of Amy's records. You could download some stuff. But uh, anything you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours, and uh, we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help support this show, but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave a five-star review. Leave a uh, comment on there. Talk about which show that you've enjoyed the most, which episode. It helps us move up in the search rankings, and it helps more people find out about this show. If you'd like to send us an email, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend. Help us spread the word. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.